Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. So Pablo Casals was the, considered the greatest uh, cellist to ever live. Um, and when he was 95 years old, he was still practicing six hours a day. And so a gentleman came up to him and asked him, why do you continue to practice six hours a day? And his response was this, because I think I'm making progress. Let that sink in. I think his uh, greatness was linked to his willingness to continue to grow and develop and mature into his ability to play. This forced him to work, even though he had been playing all of his life, uh, even at 95 years old, still con- uh, committing six hours a day because he felt like he was making progress. My question to you this morning is how many of us have settled or become comfortable in our progress towards spiritual maturity to the place that we now no longer do anything to move towards growth? to become better, to, to grow up and become more like Christ so we make no progress. And I know that this stat is now old to you, and because it's old to you, this is my concern. I'm afraid that because we've heard it now, this will be the fifth week in a row, this statistic that what happens is, is that the shock factor diminishes. And when the shock factor diminishes, then we no longer pay attention or we think that we're talking about somebody else. Here's the statistic. I pray that it will scare you this morning. One, it less than one in five of those of us that profess to be Christians, followers of Christ, have any measurable spiritual goals in our life. We have no plans, no systematic way, nothing to shoot for. We just call ourselves Christians and we go through life, but we don't grow. That ought to scare us. I'm glad that you're one of the ones that keeps coming back over the last five weeks and that you've made a commitment with me that, and a pledge that we're going to join this painful and messy trip, trip towards transformation. But I want to stop here and remind you that just because you're filling out a card does not mean you're actually growing. It just means you're filling out a card. So we've got to make efforts and, and steps, and we've got to continue in this journey uh, t- towards spiritual growth. So what we've done, uh, if you don't have this, raise your hand. Our ushers will get them to you quickly. This is the way we're tracking. This is not an indication that you have grown. It is simply the scorecard, the standard, the measuring stick, if you will, that helps us determine that these are the areas or the shifts that we need to grow into. Anybody growing during this series, I hope? I hope. Anybody being challenged? During the oh man, it's messing with me. So, so here we go. I'm going to catch you up just very quickly. Uh, shift number one was me to you. We have to make this shift from me to you. We identified that we're extremely self-centered, that we don't think about the person next to us. We only think about ourselves. So we're shifting from me to you. Number two was slave to son or slave to child. Uh, we have to come to an understanding uh, that we are the children of God. If we're going to grow, we cannot grow as slaves. We must grow as children of God. And then last week, one of the hardest ones for me, we are shifting from the seen to the unseen, leaving room for the other world. We determined last week that we see what we look for, right? 
And so we've got to begin to look for him. And I told you some places that you can find him. I encourage you to go back and listen if you have not already listened. We're trying to grow up to be like Christ. Here's number four. And this one is going to bother some of you. And I'll prove it here in just a minute. If we are going to grow this year, we must move from consumer to steward. Consumer to stewards. Simply and bluntly put, just like I've said week after week, if we fail to make these shifts, then we fail to grow. Consumer to steward. It is an easy conclusion to know that most of us as American Christians struggle with being consumers. In fact, we have made, in our society, we have made eating a competitive sport. It's gross to watch. But it exists. You can be a world champion if you can eat 50-something, or now I think it's like 70-something hot dogs in a minute. It's ridiculous. We have made consumption a competitive sport. Uh, um, here's another one. Uh, we, we've become world-class consumers. Uh, we have uh, gone like this. 60 years ago, Americans ate 144 pounds of meat a year, each of us. Think about that now. Now, in 2019, the last, uh, the last statistics I saw was that we now eat 217 pounds of meat per person per year. We only uh, make up 7% of the world's population, yet I, only being 7% of the world's population, we consume all, most of the world's oil, most of the world's water, most of the world's money, most of the world's cars, and just about everything else. In fact, our country spends more on advertising than most of all the other countries spend on everything else because we're consumers. So um, I, I gave you a test in week two about me to you to try to prove to you that you were self-centered and that I was self-centered. We all failed miserably. There wasn't one person in either service left standing because we all failed the test of whether or not we're self-centered. So I figured it might be eye-opening if we take another test. I don't know if I'm going to get you all today, but I'm going to do my best. I want you to stand with me. Come on. When I read a statement that applies to you, I want you to sit down. All right? Uh, oh, this one's going to be painful. All right, here we go. Uh, Lord Jesus, help us to be honest in front of you and everybody else. Amen. All right. So here we go. If this applies to you, I want you to sit down. I see other people's stuff, and I become critical or bored with my own. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm sitting down on the inside, all right? Uh, number two, I buy compulsively because I feel like it without thinking first about my budget or my need. Yeah, okay. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. My need list, my need list is getting bigger. I need a new cell phone. I need a new iPod. I need a new iPad. I need a new house. I need a new car. I need new clothes. I need a new pet. I need a new spouse. Never mind. That's a different series. All right. Um. All right, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. Uh, I, got, I got teenagers calling out moms and dads right now. Here's the next one. I shop for recreation. I shop for recreation. Okay. Woo. Number five. Number five, I complain a lot about how much I make. 
Okay. Number six. Listen carefully. Number six. I feel self-conscious when I'm around rich people. Okay. All right. This is going to get... This gonna be, uh, I, don't you lie right here because we just sent this out about two weeks ago. I give less than 10% of my income to the church. All right. And last but not least, the faithful are still standing. Maybe I can get them right here. It annoys me when the preacher talks about money. All right, everybody can be seated. So, Yay, some of you passed. That doesn't mean you don't have to listen. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, you listening? I need you to listen to me. Uh, it is obvious that most of us need to make this shift if we're going to be committed to grow this year. I've always been interested and uh, tend to notice patterns in Scripture. I think it's because uh, raising, uh, growing up in my house, my mom is uh, uh, like the professional list maker. Um, we had lists for lists, no joke. Um, and so I grew up that way, and I too have tend, I tend to make lists all the time. Um, and so therefore, I think that's why, but I tend to look for patterns in Scripture. I need to be honest with you that the pattern that I'm going to share with you this morning, I missed. Um, all these years that I've been reading Scripture, I missed this pattern. I know these accounts very well. I could quote some of them to you. And yet I still missed the pattern that we're going to talk about today. But I think this pattern reveals a secret for us in our efforts to make this shift from consumer to steward. Uh, especially when you contrast it, this pattern, with one of the parables that Jesus used to drive home the lessons of the pattern. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share the pattern. I'm going to read the parable uh, to you that he uses to drive the pattern home. Then we're going to look at the fruits of obeying the pattern or disobeying the pattern and see if we can't drive home some lessons that we need to learn if we're going to make this shift, all right? So let me tell you what the pattern is. I think it's interesting that this pattern is found in all four of the Gospels. In fact... Um, the miracle that Jesus uses to teach us this pattern is one of the only other miracle listed in all four of the Gospels beside this one is the resurrection. Let that sink in. How important this account is. I'm not even going to read it to you because you know, it, you know it so well. I'm just going to tell you what it is and you'll know what we're talking about. But it's one of only two miracles in all four of the Gospels. Here's the pattern. Here's where it's found. Um, it is found in the feeding of the 5,000. Now you know, as well as I do, that there were more than 5,000 people there. 5,000 was the number of men. It was probably more in the area of 20,000 when you add the kids and the, the, the spouses and everything else. And so Jesus sets this pattern for us in this, this account. This is what he does. You will remember the disciples go and find a little boy who has five loaves and two fish. And he does this. He took the fish and bread. He took... He blessed, he broke, he multiplied, and he gave it to others. It's interesting to me that out of that account in all four of the Gospels, then also on one of the last days of Jesus' life when he's serving communion, it's interesting to me that he repeats the pattern. Again, same pattern. He took, he blessed, he broke, he multiplies, he hands it out to others. Then 30 years later, Paul comes along uh, and he, in, in, uh, in um, uh, 
talking to the, 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 the New Testament church. He's talking about how to take communion. He repeats the same exact pattern again. It's the pattern that we must learn. In order for us to make this shift, then we must learn to do this. We must learn to take. We don't have any problem with that. We must learn to bless. How do we bless? We literally come to this place, and I'll talk more about it in just a second. This concept of bless here is literally coming to this place where you say, what you've already given me is more than enough. It's sufficient. That's exactly what happens in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus blesses and says, what you've given me is more than enough. Okay. We break it, we multiply it, and then we give it to those around us. So here's the, here's the parable, because this is where it drives it home. I want you to uh, join me in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, beginning of verse 14. I'm going to read it to you out of the Message Bible because I think it says it a little plainer, but I want you to listen carefully what's going on. It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another 2000 to a third one 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investments, and the second one did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. And after a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. And the one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment, and his master com uh, uh, commended him, Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. One version says it like this, you will experience the delight of your master. The servant with the 2,000 showed how he also had doubled his master's investment and his master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. And the servant given 1,000 said, master, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways that you demand the best and you make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. And the master was furious. That a, that's a terrible way to live. It's, a, it's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who has risked the most and get rid of this. Play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him in to utter darkness. I want you to go back this week at home and I want you to read that passage again and I want you to look for the pattern. It's there. It is there. The whole concept of us taking, blessing, multi breaking, multiplying, and giving it to others is there. And also in this parable is the result if we don't follow the pattern. Are you with me? Okay, so let me just point out some stuff that I think we need to learn, learn real quickly. Stewards know that possessions are not earned. They are given. Notice if you will, that the servants did not earn what they were given. I want to say that again. Notice, if you will, that the servants did not earn what they were given. What they had was a gift from the master. If, if we are going to move from consumer to steward, then we must come to grips with this fact that even though we work for the stuff that we have, we have not earned it. It has been given to us. 
I, I didn't figure I'd get much help there. So, so, so um, if you think what you have been given is a result of your hard work. You don't know how hard I work. Y'all help me out. Y'all, you don't know how hard I work. I work nine to five. I sweat. I do stuff nobody else will do around me. Then can I remind you that there are people in the world that work harder than you do that have less than you do. This is not an effort issue. This is not a work issue. This is a given issue. We have what we have, not because we've earned it, but because we have been given these things. We have, uh, we've been blessed. Come on, tell your neighbor, I've been blessed. Everything I have has been given to me as a gift. Doesn't matter, I, doesn't matter if you work 62 hours overtime this week. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. We have forgotten the source. So now we quote verses of Scripture like this. Every good and perfect gift comes from our 9 to 5 effort. <laughs> Every good and perfect gift comes from Dale. Every good and perfect gift comes from you fill in the blank wherever you work. And we have forgotten that every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. That's the take part. We recognize and take into our hands what he has given because it comes to, from above. So we should be filled with an attitude of gratitude that I could be in a situation where I work myself to death and receive nothing for it. Don't, don't kid yourself. There are millions of people all over the world that work themselves to death from, dark, from daylight to, to dark and beyond and they don't have half of what you have. This is not an effort issue. This is a given issue. The second thing I want to tell you this morning is that stewards know that everyone is given something. The master gave each of them something. I want you to understand what the truth of that does is it stops the tyranny of comparing. Every servant was given something. Not one of the three servants was empty-handed. So although what you may have been given isn't as much as the person sitting next in front of you, the truth is, is that you are not empty-handed. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter could say this in verse 10, Every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. Another version, be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so you all get in on it. We've all been given something. Everyone has something. So we must learn to bless, here it is, what we already have or we will never think we have enough. Okay, because here's what we do. Um, can I challenge you this morning, and I'll prove it to you here in just a second. Can I challenge you that some of you are sitting around making statements like this. If I could win the lottery, I would give this. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because how you give then is, doesn't change by how much more you have. Okay, okay, so, 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 so we, we've got to learn to bless what we already have and say, what I already have is more than enough. This is how you break the scarcity mindset. You don't break the scarcity mindset with more. 
You don't break the scarcity mindset with abundance. You do it with thankfulness for what we already have. Consumers compare. Stewards recognize that my hands may not be as full as the other person, but my hands are not empty. God has already given me more than enough. It's just this concept because we're American Christians, we spend it all on ourselves, so then we go, we don't have enough. We refuse to bless what he's already given us. Three, stewards recognize that they are partners with God. So um, this, this is a difficult um, concept for most of us, but I need to tell you that you are a, not a manager of what God has given you. Nor are you the owner of what God has given you. A manager says it all belongs to God. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Everything I got belongs to God. They're acting as a manager. I'll show you here in a second what happens when you do that. Or they say, it's mine. I worked for this. I'm the owner. Okay, so in either situation, what happens is, is we drift into this consumer mindset. And what takes place is, is that we, we put all the responsibility on God. Or we take all the credit. So on one end of the spectrum, everything I have belongs to God. What you've literally done is you've taken yourself and you've let yourself off the hook. I have no responsibility in this at all. Or if we're over here and I own it all, then the second mindset is this. It's mine and God has nothing to do with this. That's a consumer mindset. So a steward makes this shift to an understanding that we are partners with God. So it works like this. I have a stake in everything that I have. In fact, I have exactly this. I have uh, 49% stake. He has 51%. So now I become this partner with him, with him having an overriding vote. Okay. So that now he has the right to give instructions and directions that I will follow. Okay, so consumers own and keep for themselves what was intended for somebody else. See, what I've discovered is this, is that stewardship, it turns out, isn't really about what you have, but rather it's about why you have what you have. I'm going to say that again, because this equals the playing field. This means that there are no equal, it doesn't matter if we have an equal number of zeros in our bank account. Listen very carefully. Stewardship is about not what you have, but why you have what you have. So then our job is to get between what he has given us and what others need and span the gap as a conduit by which he gets it to them. Uh, By the way, just so we're clear, this isn't just about money. This is about grace. This is about joy. This is about love. This is about peace. He uses us in partnership. Why is it that Christians want to, first of all, what we do is we'll act as a partner with God for love, grace, and mercy, but we want to say, you can't deal with my finances. We are partners with him. Partners. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Stewards have a different view of the master. I want you to see what happened. The 1,000 man, the, the, the parable says this, he was afraid. Did you see? I emphasized it when I read it. It says he was afraid. Consumers fear the master. 
Some of you are scared to death right now that what we're going to do at the end of service is take up an offering, and we are, and you're scared to death that the master's going to come to you and say, give me what you got. That is a consumer mindset. I am afraid of the master. A steward is not afraid of the master. He is not scared of him. This is why we uh, talked about moving from a slave to a son first because you cannot make this shift until you make the other shift first because if you continue to see yourself as a slave, you will continue to act like a consumer. But if you see yourself as a son, you will suddenly recognize that I don't have to fear him and I don't have to even make him like say you can't have access to the stuff I have. Now I operate not out of fear but out of a place of trust that you don't want to harm me and that you only want what's good for me. A son will leverage what his father has given him. Stewards see the master as generous. Consumers, check this out, see if this sounds like you or me. Consumers see God as stingy. How do you see him? I'm trying to reveal to you whether you're a steward or whether you're a consumer. The steward thinks about the master's happiness. In this one version it read like this, you will experience the delight of your master. Consumers think about their own happiness. I'm going to say that again. We have bought a lie in our society that it's all about happiness. God, make me happy. That's why we've turned him into Santa Claus. Make me happy. That's your job. But a steward thinks about the master's happiness. What if, let me say, that's why a, a, a consumer thinks reward and payment. Are you, are, you, are you tracking with me? So what if we could grow to this place in our own life and we could grow up where our first and our major concern becomes, is our master pleased? What if we could become more concerned about his delight in us than we are about his deposit into our bank account? What if our first question was not, are you going to bless me? What if my first question would become this, are you, are you delighted in me, oh God? Am I doing the stuff that makes you happy? That is the shift from consumer to steward. Uh, can I just tell you something just to, to, to help you this morning? Uh, stewardship is learned. It is not natural. Anybody, anybody want to testify right there for a minute? Because when we're one or two years old, the first word, one of the first words we learn is mine. We want possession. I want, it, I want this is mine. We're not giving it up to anybody. I could have 62 building blocks, and I don't know I'm stuck on 62 today. 63 building blocks, and I'm not going to let you have one of them because they're mine. So we have to learn to do this. And I want you to understand that this is a difficult shift especially as Americans. And so I want to challenge you this morning that the only way to learn to do this is by taking baby steps. You're not just going to wake up one morning and go, oh, I'm a, I'm a steward. No, you've got to take baby steps. There are baby steps that we take uh, that help us move into this because here's the, here's the challenge. The Word challenges us to be content, Right? But we cannot become so content or allow our contentment to cause us to move into apathy where we don't handle what he's given us correctly. So here are the baby steps. I'm, I'm going to give you three mini shifts, all right? 
You didn't sign up for these. Uh, You just thought you had seven to make. Here are three mini shifts because I recognize you can't make this shift all in one giant leap. You've got to take steps, small steps. All right, are you ready? Uh, Mini shift number one, you've got to move from a spender to a saver. Okay, some of you just checked out on me right there. (laughs) Spender to a saver. This is where we find contentment. We go from, when I get this, I will be happy, to what I already have is enough. Can I tell you this morning that too many of us are robbing from our 60s because in our 30s, we've never come to the place where we say that we have enough. I'm going to say that again. Some of you, I need to say it about me. Some of us are, are being brutalized right now in our 50s and our 60s because when we were in our 30s, we would never come to the place right here where we said, what I already have, you've blessed me so much, I'm content, you've given me enough, now I don't have to stay up with the Joneses because I don't even like the Joneses. I don't have to impress the Smiths because I don't even know the Smiths, but instead, I, I'm going to spend everything I have because I'm trying to keep it. No, we come to this place Where we go, no, I'm going to save. Spender to saver. Okay, I could do another test. I could make you stand up and say, how many of you spend everything you make every month? Live paycheck to paycheck, and I guarantee you that the bulk of every one of us would sit down. Even the folks, listen to me, even the folks that would stand up and say, God has blessed me with a significant raise. Anybody ever gotten a significant raise? I've had a couple in my life. You know what I've discovered? I spend up to my level of raise. Because we won't start the mini shift. The first mini shift is this spender to saver where we come to this place where we say we have enough. Number two, we've got to move from saver to giver. Uh, I told you I'd prove this. Sociologists have discovered that what is true of Americans is this. The more we have, the less we give. It's, it's proven statistically. What I, but what we've got to do is start making this shift where we understand we've taken, we've blessed, we've been charged with multiplying it, and now we begin to give it to others. It's, it's this place where we come to, I'm going to share me to you. Wait a minute, I thought we already talked about that. We did, in order, on purpose. Because you've got to make this shift. We take, we bless, we multiply, we give it to others. Open hearts lead to open hands. Can I tell you this morning that giving doesn't always lead to love? Do you know that? But love, come on now, always leads to giving. God so loved the world that he gave. We must make this shift from saver to giver so that we begin to give away what he's given. It's the last one. Here's the hardest one. And it sounds similar to the, the second one, but it's not. It's sharing to blessing. This is the ultimate level. It is the place of generosity. It is the recognition that I play a ma- listen to me. I play a major role in blessing others in a partnership with God. How many of you and I'll be the first to raise my hand. Come on now, let's be honest. 
honestly would say, I pray that God will bless people around me. I got people on my list I want God to bless. Come on, just me? Okay, six of us, 12 of us. Keep going. I was, I was hoping we're, okay. We're, okay, so you can put them down. We pray that God will bless other people. This shift requires us to come to this understanding that God wants to use us to distribute the blessing. So you can sit on the sideline as a consumer and God give you, give you, give you, give you, give you. And you never participate in the blessing, 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 blessing that he's trying to get somebody else. And you become a, 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 a stopper. An obstacle. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to make a statement. It's going to be painful. Consumers always want to be on the receiving end of generosity. Think about your own, okay, when I wrote that down, I started thinking about my own mindset and how I think. Stewards make this shift and all of a sudden the delight of their life is to be one of the givers. Okay, how can I describe this level? I described it like this because this is big. This is the shift so that we have already parted with all of our possessions before we ever give them away. Think about that statement I just said right there. We come to this understanding that I'm partnering with God and I've already made up my mind that if he says give it, it's gone. It's already gone. We graduate to acting as a partner with God so that we can bring a blessing to those around us. John Wesley said it like this. He om- I think, I, I respect John Wesley. He's a lot smarter than I am. He almost got it right. He missed one little step part of it, but he almost got it right. He said it like this a long time ago. Earn all you can, save all you can in order to give all you can, all you can. The only part he missed was the multiplying. Earn all you can, take Save all you can, but first multiply it so that you can give it away. There's a passage of scripture that we're going to really dive into in March um, in, a, in a new series that we'll be in that you know like this. It's Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. It says, Jesus says, be holy because your heavenly father is holy. Remember that passage of scripture? You can quote it in King James. Most of you have learned that one. I happened to stumble across it this week in my preparations for Holy Mess, which is the series we're going to be in in March. And I read it in the Message Bible. I'm not saying he got it right. It's a paraphrase. It's not literal. But maybe, maybe he got it right. I don't know. But, but it stuck out to me. And I said, you know what? I've got to read that in this, this, this sermon because, because he may have gotten this thing right. He says it like this. He says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards other the way God lives towards you. So if we're going to make this shift, we got to start where you are. Where are you in the baby steps? Are you spending everything? Are you giving anything? Are you blessing anybody? Okay, here are the practical steps. I'm going to get out of your way. Here we go. I want you to get your pen and paper out. Here are your assignments this week. I hope you've been doing these, and I hope I'm not wasting my time giving you practical steps because these practical steps is where we actually grow. All right, just writing them down on the card does not mean you actually grow. 
You have to do the practical steps to actually grow. Are you ready? Here they are. There's four of them. Number one, list what you gave away in 2019. This week, sit down with a piece of paper and think about last year and think about what you gave away. A great place for you to start was your giving statement from the church. If you didn't get one, there are only two reasons you didn't get one. Number one is because we don't have your address. Number two is because you didn't give anything. Start there. I'm not saying you should end there. That's just an indi- one indication. Number two, list what you will give away in 2020. Start. If you don't make the list now, 2020 will be over. By the way, it's February. What happened to January? If you don't write it down now and start listing it out now, you'll never, we'll, we'll be in 2022 and you'll look back and go, oh, I was going to give that away in 2020. Make a list now. Number three, write out what you want the end of your life to look like when it comes to things. Think about that. You should always begin with the end in mind. So now, you say, well, I'm only, I'm only 18. Perfect. You got plenty of time to get there. For those of us that are my age, we're well down the track and we may need to make major adjustments. We need to think about what we want the end of our life to look like when it comes to things. Like, is your list going to say, I want the biggest house so everybody will be jealous of me? I want nine cars in the driveway. I want, I want them to have to come with U-Hauls for days when I'm dead and gone and clean out my house. Okay, now look at me. You're looking at me funny. But how many of you, well, you don't know. You don't know that in the, in the history of this church, there have been occasions where there have been people in our church that have had to go clean out after some of the people that used to attend our church that have passed away. And it was wall-to-wall, ceiling-to-ceiling stuff. They didn't even need it. But they never thought about the end. And I'm challenging you to think about the end. Number four. I want you to test your commitment. You can do this one right here, right here in front of God and everybody. You can do this one right now. I'm going to test your commitment level. I want you to do this. I want you to write this statement down. If I had blank, then I would be happy. Think about that right now. Just right there on your piece of paper. You can can do this right here. I don't think you have to think long. If I had blank, fill in the blank then I would be happy. That tests our commit, our contentment level and determines whether our identity is wrapped up in what we have or who we are. You got it? I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to get out of your way. Father, we're thankful this morning that you're concerned about every area of our life. And I'm thankful that you've chosen us to partner as a partner to bless others. I pray that what would take place this morning is as a continuation of shifting from me to you and slave to sons and seen to unseen, that we would now begin this fourth step and we would begin to move from consumers to stewards and we would understand that what you, what everything that we have is a gift from you. We've been given these things for particular specific reasons. You've blessed us. You've blessed us all. There's not one person in this room sitting in this country that can say, I don't have anything. You, you have filled our hands. We bless it. We say that it's enough. It's more than enough. If you never did anything else, you've blessed us. 
And I pray that we would begin to multiply what you have, but I pray that we would not become consumed by what we have and by what you've given us. I pray that instead you would position us to give it away, to partner with you to bless. I pray for those of us that are sitting in this room right now that tend to think, I want to be on the receiving end of generosity. I pray that you would shift our mindset and we would now begin to look for ways to bless others. I pray that you would help us to accomplish this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Come on, look at your neighbor right now and say, it's time for us to make some shifts. Come on, tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. Tell them, tell them. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.